Hello, welcome to episode 28 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and I'm here with you. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news. You're starting to sound more and more like the coughing um, country man from the far show. <laughs> <coughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, I'm always worried about sounding like um, the sentence goes up at the beginning... And then down at the end, like Radio 4 Satirist. <laughs> oh, God. Which is the worst, and I have to, because it's the only, it's like, it's the thing you listen to when you're listening to politics shows, because they were all on Radio 4 or BBC Two. So, so it's like the Have I Got News For You voice. It's one of those things where it's quite amazing how much information you can get about a person by their voice. Mm. Like, you know they're dead behind the voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just, there's just yeah. nothing there. Like, they might smile, but their eyes are never smiling. Their eyes are always screaming. Mm. Yeah, so what's that? It's insane. This week? So this week, um, uh, MPs return to Parliament. Oh yeah, this very day um, for the how start. M- how many of them got kicked out of Parliament for having like bad, the wrong haircuts or not the right shoes? Yeah, <laughs> somebody turned up with the blue mohawk and just <laughs> a picture of them with their mum. <laughs> the fact that it was William Rees Mogg <laughs> was a shocker. <laughs> You're not allowed to come in here. You're not allowed to wear those kind of leather shoes. You're making the other boys feel bad. <laughs> It was kind of annoying when all the press were around la- at the end of the last session, you know, to take pictures of the prettiest female MPs and how they did. <laughs> Getting their results, they're holding their voting records up. <laughs> they're holding their, I was about to say gold MP chains, but then they're not mayors, are they? No. <laughs> Do MPs get any kind of good swag? Because lords get Lords all get the all the ermine, like the, the pussy and the pussy cloaks. Yeah. Um, but, but MPs get fuck all, apart from, like, money and a job for life. <laughs> but no, they don't get any good merch. <laughs> yeah, there's no good merch on in the they stand. They don't get a swag, you like try and get, an you, iPhone. You try and get it on the way out, but there's always a massive queue, and you don't want to miss, you know, the session. <laughs> the after party. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they've, they're, back, they're back in school now. Yeah, they're back for the, uh, yeah, the start of their 217th season. And it has been running um, on. It should have ended around three or four. Yeah. But because it did, it's been making them quite a bit of money. They're just eking it out for it's as long as in possible. The early like season, in the early seasons, they had a lot of substitute actors. You know, like Scotland, Northern yeah. Ireland. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, I wasn't really happy with the cliffhanger ending at the end of two, uh, uh, season 216. No, it's a bit but, lazy. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see how this will-they-won't-they they, uh, thing between Theresa May and her own party is going to turn out. <laughs> It'll be disappointing, though. Because like in most TV series, they can never write a, succe- a, like a, a successful, serious relationship. They always have to like add drama and tear them apart. <laughs> the commercial pressures mean they just have to continue. Yeah. <laughs> it but never ends. I saw Starring. The, I saw the photo of the whole Tory cabinet and at first I thought all of them were white yeah but there's not there's Pretty Patel you see Pretty Patel over there in the corner though she's in like the bottom left yeah, hand corner along with um, the bloke there's an Asian bloke as well mm. Sajid Javid yeah, yeah. Um, but I've because uh, they are quite fair skinned but I think mm. also there's probably Tory lighting in there it's like camouflage, so they don't get set upon by like. It's why they did so badly in the last election. They were busy. Linton Crosby was brought especially in. He's not an election strategist. He's just a lighting engineer. He's a lighting specialist. He's got all the really good filters to make Asians look palatable to a Tory voter and to make uh, the naturally grey Tory MP just <laughs> look lifelike. Come alive! <laughs> Trick you into thinking Jacob Rees-Mogg actually doesn't subsist on human flesh. <laughs> Philip Hammond, brought to you by Palm Olive. <laughs> But yeah, they, they look. Ugh. Yeah, they're back in now. Uh, I think the first one of the first debates is like uh, somebody bringing up Venezuela. 
because you know they need a binding resolution on what to do about. Well, yeah, we should send send troops to support the government. <laughs> <laughs> Although weirdly not, enough, that's well, what they're proposing. Although it? it's not that surprising if they send if they send troops to help deal with the um, if they send troops to deal with the stuff in Venezuela because all the stuff that just came out today of the amount of British soldiers who are in national action. <laughs> so you know, they were kind of their hearts were on a particular side already. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So they they're going back in and they'll be doing stuff. So we'll get back into like proper politics soon. Do we have to? I don't know. <laughs> but there was also I saw on the front cover of the Times today that. Um, Jeremy Corbyn's flirting with veganism like a fucking monster. <laughs> and he was talking about veganism while he was making his own bath bomb at Lush. Being just generally adorable. He must never be queen. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, look at him, look at him. He goes to Lush and gets a bath bomb. <laughs> Do you know who else will use bath bombs? Stalin. <laughs> Dan Jarvis. More crater bombs, <laughs> less bath bombs. Oh, God. More bunker busters for Yorkshire. <laughs> But yeah, so I saw, and um, then the other thing that I saw in the news this week is another scion of the House of Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. Oh God, yeah, there's a new royal baby, isn't there? Yeah. I was introduced to that topic by the front page of I can't remember the Mirror or the Sun or the Times or any of them. Yeah. Um, with it's like Kate suffering from severe morning sickness. It's like, are you trying to like tug at the heartstrings here? <laughs> well, pretty sure morning sickness is fairly common and while not pleasant, apparently she does still. get really bad morning sickness, but also. They're supposed to be doing more work now, because now Philip has had to like give away his racism ground to someone else. Yeah, they have to pick up the slack. Mm. Um, and then, just as they're supposed to start at work, suddenly she gets pregnant. Another <laughs> wing on the palace, a new TV, <laughs> an extension of child benefit. All yeah. of it makes sense. I've seen that satellite dish out there. Yeah, I was looking for the flag where it was a big a, old satellite. Whether the dish. flag was up and there's a big old satellite dish on there. It's one of those. Those they really, don't work, you know. It's one they of those really work. big ones for getting all the Polish channels. <laughs> yeah. You don't really see all the like the really. It's because it's so easy with the internet now. I miss, that's the thing that's bad about the internet. I miss gigantic satellites. I saw a gigantic satellite in someone's garden the other day, hmm. like as in buried into the ground, oh, and, and like wires going into the flat. Because I had um, a friend when I was younger who's had a massive satellite that when you press the buttons to change a channel it would actually move. Oh, sweet. It was like living in the future if the future meant like foreign language pornography. <laughs> <laughs> Which it turns out it did. It did. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Alright, on to serious news this week. Um, that story that I think we mentioned it last week about the uh, the Muslim fostering scandal. There's no nice way of like... Yeah, the Tower Hamlets saying it in a couple of words yeah. like they call it a muslim fostering scandal it's just kind seems to be just whipped up for nothing i think someone wrote something on the actual facts yeah. well of the thing is yes last what week, actually happened because yes. it was it was put so it was portrayed as um basically all of the old islamic tropes about like ripping crosses and make force feeding people halal beef and uh all that kind banning of shit. bacon sandwiches oh yeah banning pig of course yeah yeah um but like you said last week, you said that you don't think any of it's. You think there's a good chance that all of it's not true. Yeah, it just felt it felt completely untrue. And it turns out that it was. Um, oh. There's a thing I've got here written by Tom Pride on his WordPress. Um, Ten facts that they lied about that I'm going to read out. Okay. 
Okay, according to the court documents, it was the police, not the local authority, as stated by the tabloids, who decided the child should be put into foster care. That makes a difference because the all those like lunatic left um, things, which is like a kind of weird. These, these like Muslim scare stories are like a kind of mutation of that. They all come from the council because you've got to keep the police on side. Hmm. The child was removed from the mother's care and placed by social services with foster carers on an emergency basis in March 2017 uh-huh. as a result of the police exercising the power, their powers of protection. Hmm. Um, there was no culturally matched foster placement available at the time. There was a temporary change of foster carer in the summer to enable the original foster carer to go on holiday. Hmm. Okay. Number two. According to court documents, the foster family criticised by the tabloids was a temporary placement. Yeah. On the 27th of June, the court listed the case for further hearing on the 29th of August 2017. The current foster care placement, which was a, resp- a respite placement while the original foster care went on holiday, was due to end today. Number three. Uh, you're pronouncing that wrong. It's called Hajj. <laughs> <laughs> According to court documents, the child herself is from Muslim heritage. And her Muslim... <laughs> that was the best, that's the best thing ever. Oh my God, Muslim child forced to become Muslim. Yeah. Because like that was the thing. When they say Christian child, mm. they mean white. It's a, yeah. it's a like white slavery scare story. The child herself is from Muslim heritage and her Muslim grandmother has now been cleared by the courts to look after her. This fact is only disputed by the girl's mother, but none of this was mentioned by the tabloids as it would obviously totally destroy her narrative. Documents including in the assessment of the maternal grandparents state that they are of a Muslim background but are non-practicing. The child's mother says they are of Christian heritage. Um, the temporary foster mother did not wear a veil, as stated by the tabloids. She wears a hijab at a biggin. Well, it's a biggin, especially when it, the male actually doctored the stock picture yeah, to put thing. it into a... The veil in the photographs published by the male and other places was photoshopped onto a stock picture of a Muslim family taking a walk in a park in Dubai. <laughs> That's that's fucking atrocious. How is how does nobody get like censured or sued for yeah. that kind of shit? Um, according to court documents, the child mother was not at any time request had had not requested that the foster parents be changed, which you know, that's an important thing as well. Yeah. That, like they said, they made out that she because was, which... in in this kind of racist caricature, hmm. you need like the. Like in the original story, you've got the image of the like, the white mother, like being, being, being held back by away. thuggish social workers yeah. as her child is snatched away. It's and fucking disgusting. Locked up in the tallest tower of a minaret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she wants to let down her hair, but no, the burqa wraps across her face. <laughs> Tower Hamlets Council have confirmed that the temporary foster parents do speak English. <laughs> According to court documents, the family court dealing with the case had also expressed no concerns about the foster parents' level of English. The press just lied about it. Let me tell you about the press's uh, doctrine of takia. That means that when a story's really, really good, (laughs) you can lie about it. Yep. Um, According to council foster care officials, the temporary foster parents did not ban Easter, as stated by the tabloids. There is also no mention of this according to court documents by either the mother herself or the lawyers representing her. The press lied about it. <laughs> um, there is no evidence, apart from claims by the tabloid press, that the temporary foster parents have banned crucifixes and bacon from the home. There is also no mention of this in, um, to court documents by either the mother or the lawyers representing it. Again, the press just lied. Um, yeah, but if those court documents were under Sharia law, mm, as all courts are... As they are now. Um, it would never come out, would it? Well, I heard that from a soldier in National Action. <laughs> <laughs> um, according to court documents... It seems that the child was put into temporary foster care by the police because of the mother's alcohol and drug problems. There was ah. no mention of this fact by the tabloid press, presumably as it would put a question mark over the mother's credibility and her criticism of the temporary foster parents. <laughs> um, 
the foster. Whereas you know they mentioned that if it meant that if she was the target, yeah, yeah, they would have made up that she had a drug and alcohol problem. Yeah, because also elsewhere in their pages, they have a massive go at mothers with drug and alcohol problems yep. and single mothers and things like that. It's it would complicate that that particular narrative that they're trying to weave. The foster parents have been rated very highly by independent assessors, including the child's own independent children's guardian, whose job it is to advocate solely on behalf of the welfare of the child. Um, the okay, and then we got a nice list of the journalists who um, Tom Pride says are either so incompetent they got the facts wrong or they lied. I mean, I don't think I, there's enough extra stuff in there for them not to have gotten facts wrong. Yeah, for them to actually have sexed up. Hammed up, <laughs> yeah. Hawked up this this story like blood libeled up, yeah. Um, but it's, it's um, Andrew Norfolk from the Times, Fiona Parker from the Mail Online, Martin Robinson from the Mail Online, Jonathan Riley from the Sun, Cyril Dixon from the Express, and Alison Pearson from the Telegraph. The only one I really know there is Alison Pearson. From yeah, the that's Telegraph, the only one I've heard of. Who went on quite the blocking spree whenever anyone pointed any of this shit out to her, <laughs> and then she went back to just publishing lies. <laughs> But it's just that thing of, you can't really trust the press when they talk about anything to do with Muslims. Yeah, I mean... Or actually anything. If if they've got a narrative that they want to push, they will lie and misrepresent the facts to just get their point across. It's it's not even like it's the kind of thing you have to look into very hard, like the... The evidence is all around you, all in front of you, every time. There's and like it's important because there was some like survey done, which is like eighty-two percent of non-Muslim British people get all of their information about Islam and Muslims in general from the media. It's mm. one, it's one of those things of like yeah, with certain th- complicated things you can sidestep them to a certain extent and appeal to people's lived experience. But if you're not if you're not in contact if you don't know any yeah. Muslims in the area you're in or you don't know <clears throat> anything about Islam, you're taking all of your facts like straight away from um from the media. Yeah. Um whether it be an article like that about um about stealing a child away from a good Christian family hmm. or Sarah Champion again this week in the Independent oh, complaining about God, the she... floppy left and about how it means that she can't you know, the floppy left, they don't have the balls to criticise Islam in the way that she'll criticise Islam. The floppy left, not the rock-hard Owen Smith left. Yeah. The rock-hard... As he increasingly told us throughout his election campaign. He's just breaking tables with mm. his definitely not Viagra-enhanced genitals. <laughs> so the caffeine from the honest cup of coffee coursing through his vast deference. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, and what's the other? There was another one. There was yesterday. Um, fuck. He I can't, he he was on LBC. Adam Pierce mm-hmm. um, did a thing about one point three million kids starting at school this year speak English. Don't speak English as a first language. And he did this whole article about how that's a really bad thing that we've got mm. so many bilingual children. Well, because also, the implication like, was they don't speak any. They don't. They don't yeah, speak. they don't speak any English. Yeah, um, but that's not true. Yeah, that kind of culture war stuff, especially like when in a country of seventy million with a like a good like a kind of steps towards multiculturalism and uh, that kind of thing. One million out of seventy million, even if they weren't speaking English as a first language, mm. is actually pretty. I would say that's pretty good. Yeah, maybe yeah. I don't know enough about like yeah, how that works. Can learn English. Yeah, it's because like they're going to school at the age of five. They're just like drawing or anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but especially when you you know whenever you mention English classes. Um, it's kind of put forward as a punishment. Mm. 
Yeah. Rather than it's like, yeah, we're gonna fucking make them learn English. Those cunts. Yeah. Finally. Then they will fuck up the then... grammar on the Indian re- <laughs> Indian menu. <laughs> then they'll understand me when I call for my Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's fucking ridiculous. Like, it's like the worst thing is like all of these the, the fake stories and the and the Sarah Champion thing. As soon as it comes out. You can backpedal, like, you can fact-check them and force them to print tiny apologies in mm. the bottom of their paper, but the damage has already been done. It's already yeah. been added to this massive groupthink yeah. around the role of Muslims in a British society. I, I've, I've heard people, since that whole article got massively destroyed, I've heard people nobody see reference it. Mm. Not yeah. just people phoning up. Yeah. The presenters. Oh, fuck it, I hate it. I need to stop. I need to find something. Do if anyone has a suggestion for a radio station I can listen to as I fall asleep... Oh man, yeah, I've I've gone through Radio Four. Radio Four's fucking awful now. Oh yeah, it would be. like it's it's really terrible. Um, LBC it just angers up the blood too much. Um, I'm on Radio Five at the moment, but that's not great. Don't. It's kind of neutral, vaguely neutral and inoffensive, but it's boring as hell. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What's the other thing that um, Sarah Champion said was uh, like. Um, Rotherham and many post-industrial towns are still segregated. Uh, the multicultural policies that I, through my working career, grew up with, and which Jeremy Corbyn grew up with, need a translation to come outside London. Because what is a person in Blackburn going to know about <laughs> living alongside Muslims? Um, Champion stressed, it's not that Yorkshire's racist, it's that Yorkshire's very blunt and doesn't sugarcoat anything. Oh, That's so fucking offensive. Yeah. Towards people in Yorkshire, like, yeah. you vast mass in the north, yeah. you don't understand. F- you're so racist, you cannot penetrate it through your dead skulls. <laughs> I tell it like it is. It, just, it is one of the most appalling things. The mm. notion that, and the implication there is when, like, say me and you were talking about a subject, yeah. and we're not being racist about it. Yeah. That what Rare, admittedly. What, what, what we're actually doing is we're not actually not being racist. We're just sugarcoating it with so much metropolitan elite language that no one can sense <laughs> our racism. It's... Uh, no. Like a giant racist eclair. Yes. Covering it in chocolate <laughs> to cover our racist cream. I'd say more like a, more like a racist shoe bum. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's got the benefit of being French as well. Mm. You know. The French, they love it's that French multicultural stuff. Belgium, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I like shoe Yeah, oh, also, like, shoe. it's interesting how everyone wants to know what, um, like, uh, the North thinks about uh, racism. Hmm. But when they ask for higher wages. Yeah. No, weird. That's, no, that's, that's a, yeah. Well, when they're asking for higher wages, they're just sugarcoating their racist demands to leave Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so, big new, biggest news this week, well, in my mind anyway, has been the McDonald's strike. Hmm. Um, about 40 staff will go on strike on Monday, uh, yesterday, um, at two restaurants in Cambridge and Crayford in South East London, after a ballot in favour of industrial action amid concerns over low wages and the use of zero-hours contracts. The Baker's Food and Allied Workers Union, one of Britain's oldest trade unions, said staff were demanding a wage of at least £10 an hour, more secure working hours and union recognition. Scumbags. <laughs> Dirty bastards. Um... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, of course, came out in favour of the strike because that's, you know, the zero hours contract and higher wages is a good thing. Yeah. And weirdly enough, even people like West Street and came out and said, yep, it's important to fight for this kind of stuff because he hears the word McDonald's, he just comes running. Yeah. But to be fair, so do I. Um, <laughs> You're fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's my bias note. Uh, I really love the McDonald's food. It's disgusting. It's not disgusting. It is actually We're not going to get into this again. It is actually disgusting. No, that vegetarian is... punishment disc is one of the most 
appalling crimes that McDonald's have committed. Yes, I go there for the veggie burgers. Yeah, yeah but I get fucking trapped there. <laughs> um, so there's been some horror stories come out. Um, there was uh, somebody who wrote an article... Um, kind of in support of the strike, a person who works at McDonald's and they've been gathering stories from uh, like across the world and obviously McDonald's have horrific, uh, have had horrific crackdowns on unions, yep. have had horrific working conditions for a long, long time. Mm. Um, and uh, there was one story that came out of America where people in, in lieu of having a first aid kit were asked to put condiments on their burns. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Like Pickle Rick? Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yes. Yes, it is. What condiments were they rep- were they recommending for a burn? Well, like... let's see. Let's think about this. None of um, them. Literally none of them. Ketchup that's got like quite a lot of acid in it, so that's probably not going to be much good on a, on, a, on, on an oil burn. All of it's just going to hurt. Um, I mean, I would say out of all of them, probably mayonnaise. But then Weirdly, that's got like I don't remember from my nurse training the bit about which condiment to put on a burn. But I'm and that's why certain. you're not a nurse I'm at McDonald's. Certain. I'm pretty. <laughs> It's their new character. There's like Ronald McDonald, the hamburglar, and the condiment nurse. The condiment medic. Who just parachutes into horrible war-torn scenes to hose bombing victims with mayonnaise. Maybe sweet sour sauce? I don't know what's in it. It might be. No, sweet sour sauce. I feel like that'd be too uh, that'd be a too acidic as well. None of it's pouring mustard on people. <laughs> it's that's so dumb. So dumb. You'd be better off like putting their rancid lettuce on it. Actually, yeah, yeah, I could see Maybe that. Maybe you seal it with the mustard. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to have the base so that it doesn't get infected. <laughs> and then so you dumb. then you cauterize it with some of the oil. Cauterize no, you the, the mayonnaise it. around no, the no, lettuce no, leaf wrap. You crack open an apple pie and use that to cauterize the wound. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, fucking disgusting stories. There was a really good one in the in the uh, Guardian actually about um, kid in Bristol who um, he's can't get enough shifts because obviously he's on a zero hour contract mm. and um, is live. It was living on like an inflatable bed outside his mate when he couldn't sleep on his mate's sofa. He would sleep on an inflatable bed outside his house in like one of the alleyways. Like it's horrific, you know. Yeah. You know the travails of poverty. Mm. Um, so the response to like quite a lot of this has been baffling. Like some of the, the I I haven't seen any particular articles. I think they've chosen to ignore it. Yeah. Because it's actually a pretty good way of getting higher pay in other industries as well, other service jobs, mm. um, things like that. Um, but like, uh, there's been some weird like opposition to it. It's like. This only gives McDonald's and other fast food brands more incentives to increase automated production and reduce the unskilled labour force. And then another person, I understand they're struggling, but the big companies will just start relying on AI more. AI? <laughs> I, don't, I, like the idea of, I like the idea of justifying Skynet. Because if Skynet is birthed and the first thing it's given is a spatula to start working a grill, I kind of get why it will try and kill humanity. <laughs> Why would you use AI? That seems like an inc- like that seems like not like a cost benefit analysis from McDonald's for like investing this much money into all the stuff necessary to birth life, <laughs> rather than pay ten pounds an hour. Um, it, 
Um, it just no. seems it just it, this argument always comes up though whenever there's a strike mm. it happens whenever there's a tube strike or anything like that that oh don't do that your your job will just be automated yeah. and it's like don't wish for that too hard because like you may consider yourself like better than a McDonald the person who works at McDonald's mm. but I guarantee your job could be automated easier. If you um, work in an office... Asshole libertarian accountants are going to be the first ones to be yeah. completely automated. Way before someone who has to do the delicate work that involves putting like putting the right amount of gherkins onto a Big Mac. Yeah. That's actually, that is actually something that's harder to make a robot do yeah. than just maths. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> don't praise the machine, <laughs> you fucking idiots. <laughs> Look, it's the thing that will join left and right. Is the coming war with the machine. <laughs> I usually get into it when I'm pretty pissed. <laughs> but yeah. It just it, it does point to a certain kind of... There was kind of um, scoffing mm. about it as well. Like, oh, McDonald's workers, their job is the easiest job in the, the world. Lowest. And it's like... It, there's a, Yeah, it occupies like a weird position within our like work culture and our culture generally. The people think because it's... It is kind of like lazy and fast food. Yeah. And so they think naturally that that Only transmits... Work, they think the product is the same. Mm. Like, the you know, the, the product and the working work is lazy and fast. Yeah. And that it's all like, it's all done for them. And it's like, you've never worked. It's quite hard. Especially mm. when you're on low wages and you're sleeping not... Sleeping rough. You're sleeping rough and your, your sleep patterns are weird because there's so many that are open like really, really late. Yeah. And it's... No. <laughs> it's always not the true. thing that gets me is that the people who are really anti-unions getting good pay for like tube drivers or McDonald's workers are also the first ones the first ones to be really happy about 24-hour service. Yeah. And it's like do you really you're in that's so mean. There's a, it's a there is a workplace snobbish like um there was a uh my partner worked at a place where um they had a uh, like unionization drive and it got voted down and the day after they brought in new work contracts yeah, but beforehand they were all like oh we don't need a, a union we can negotiate for mm. our contracts on our own and there is that kind of like like snobbish superiority about yeah. Yeah. like the difference between office jobs and, and service jobs yeah. and like you say like this, uh, the office jobs are going to be the easiest thing to automate when it comes to it. Yeah, and it's um, those kind of jobs where they say, like, oh, no, we can negotiate our own contracts. We don't need a union. It's like, how much do you know about contract law? Yeah. Contracts are horrible. Have you ever negotiated your contract where you didn't just take the one that you were given? Hmm. Um, when um, Holly has to sign contracts for work, yeah. um, me and her go through them to make sure that there's nothing there that's mm. too... It takes us ages, and it drives me insane. I, f- I find it hard to read their bullshit language. It's yeah. horrible. And it's because they're trying to account. It's try. It's because they're trying to account for every possibility. I mean, I know some of it obviously is ob- obfuscation for that maybe, for yeah. that for that purpose, but also they are trying to cover every eventuality within that. They're within that thing. Yeah, they that's how I go to reading every single contract. The other bit was a lot of people saying things like. Um, uh, this is a, an example. My ex is a fully qualified electrical engineer. He's not on that much more than £10 an hour. Why should someone in an unqualified job be paid as much? Trying union. It's like, there's a reason you're not paid as much. It's because you have this attitude. Mm. It's yeah. like, you, you're you getting underpaid. Like, mm. shockingly, I'm like, like, in my job at the minute, I'm paid more than I've ever been in my mm. entire life. I've been working like... The 15 odd years 16 mm. years um, 
and I'm paid more now than I have ever been and I'm not on that much more mm. and I would consider myself like I'm alright mm. at the moment um, so when you actually look at it it's like ah it's not that they're asking for more it's that actually this is what it actually needs to be alright yeah. this is what you need to pay for the housing that's only getting more expensive and the food that's going up in price and all of the other things Yeah, you know it's it's incredibly short sighted um, yeah a lot of people yeah uh, the skilled university workers thing as well it's like it's kind of an old fashioned attitude that because you went to university therefore the people who are working at McDonald's are unqualified it's the assumption, the assumption that that's the only thing that they could get and I think that actually is probably going to get worse that, um, like, you know, with how much it costs as well to go to mm-hmm. university now like why did I spend this much money if mm-hmm. I could have earned the same amount working at McDonald's yeah but also the idea that there isn't a massive like labour force of university graduates who can't yeah. find a job in their chosen field and yeah. have to work in service jobs mm. you know mm. like they have to work in retail or whatever it's ridiculous um, what's well, just part of that anti-union nonsense which pervades virtually every single part of capitalist society yeah it's like yeah there's the, the like, compare it compare it with the uh, the doctor's strike mm. and it's like they shouldn't be working they shouldn't be striking they're absolutely necessary they shouldn't be striking they're unnecessary yeah so it's like so when should people strike and the answer that they've imbibed with their propaganda for years and years is never yeah 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 or in a story in the wild that's what they should strike. I bet you there's a lot of them that are in favour of the... Um, it, I bet you there's a lot of the people who like write for The Guardian, New Statesman, who are normally very anti-strike, who really love the se- season two of The Wire. Yeah. There's also, yeah, there's that cultural kind of turn within those people as well, that authentic, authenticrat thing. Yeah. It's like, you a should be striking... worker is very different proper, to a striking doctor. Yeah, proper jobs. You know, pro, pro, capital P, proper yeah. jobs. Lifting a thing. Yeah. A kind of like go to work drunk. <laughs> yeah, a weird sadomasochistic thing that mm. if you aren't doing the maximum possible damage, it, which it comes into like cert, that thing we were saying about service sector jobs, like them thinking it's not difficult, mm. and it's like if it, only if a job's difficult should you be allowed anything for it. Yeah, and it's like it's it's insane. Uh, the weirdest take though, one that I saw was like um, they shouldn't get increased wages because um, McDonald's is terrible, is a terrible product. And it's like, it's, it's you know, all the usual thing like cancer in a bun and it's fatty and it's like horrible, cheap, poorly made food. And it's like, you're not identifying, what? You're not identifying the product with the, the, the worker. They don't get to, like, they literally don't get to decide. No, they're not. At the very, at the very, at McDonald's especially, at the very extreme, they do not get to decide how it is sold, who it is sold to, yeah. or what it's made of. It's... Isn't that like the point? I mean, that's the point of a worker generally, but. Yeah, so they say, like. Um, in a capitalist society, anyway. So, like, Pret a Manger has better quality food, but it's owned by a certain company. Yeah. Um, should they be paid, like, 15 quid, 10 pounds an hour? Because I bet you they're not paid 10 pounds an hour at Pret a Manger either. Um, the, reason, they're com- the reason why people are coming out against it is because it will spread. As well, if they win. They'll... Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, at, at the moment, it's only. It's kind of like a testing of the waters these couple of branches I think there's about like I said there's about 40 people who are mm. going to go for union recognition mm. um, maybe I think the time's probably right like they've timed it well because mm. even the Labour right really can't argue against it no. because that's their whole thing it's oh, okay. supposedly their whole thing like we have all these mul- giant multinational corporations 
But we have union recognition. Well, a year ago... Because they want Germany. A year ago, where Streeting would have started a GoFundMe page for Pinkertons to kill them all. Mm. Hmm. He would have. He loves McDonald's. No, he loves McDonald's, but he, he's got that kind of all-in-it-together kind of... He bought what David Cameron was selling. Yeah. Originally. Yeah, but, and these are these are disgusting outliers that are ruining his all-in-this-together all <laughs> image. And he... I rec- I'm, I'm going to put my foot down and say... That given the chance, he would round up a bunch of Pinkertons and kill strikers. <laughs> He's got that look about him. Mm. Yeah, it just it just goes to show you. Like, I think a lot of obviously, like you can hear the age in a lot of the like the anti-strike mm. commentators when they're talking about the realities of working like at a retail job, and it's like it's that like a boomer mentality of like you start at the bottom and then the older people they get promoted and then yeah. you follow your way up and it's like it's not like that people no. are working in McDonald's for their entire lives mm. for years and years and years alongside other jobs so you know not McDonald's not necessarily McDonald's in bars yeah. in, in shops yeah. and things like that and it's like it's it, it not only clashes with the actual experience of people who actually should be listened to which are the workers themselves yeah. it doesn't it's not true it doesn't like these poverty wages, and they are poverty wages by now because mm. your living standards are slipping in addition to you not mm. getting any kind of pay rise. You're not getting any better. You're not learning any skills. You're not going to night school no. if you're on the if books. You're... If you're on the books to do a shift from uh, nine o'clock at night until well, three in the morning. Well, you can't go to, you can't go to. That's... I mean, aside from if night school was even a thing. Like, well, you can't go, you can't. Adult education. Like. You can't do anything like any kind of adult education, anything like that, if you're on a zero hour fucking contract. Yeah. Because how it's like, I can't do this this shift today because that's when my lesson is. Like, all right, then don't, you're never going to get a shift again. Yeah. Um, what's the other one? Um, yeah, there's another person said, absolutely ridiculous. Do these people realise McDonald's already work off tiny profit margins? This will only lead to redundancies. So now you move oh on to the God. economics bit of it, where it's like, no, aside from the fucking depravity of identifying with the interests of a multinational corporation in the first place, when you don't have to. Yeah. Like, you don't get points but also, like, for supporting this shit. McDonald's profit margins, if they're that slim, they're slim for a very specific reason. Let me tell you about labour theory fact. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, it's, it's not going to be because they're not working it essentially as a charity. Yeah. They're not doing it because they just really enjoy... Running McDonald's, <laughs> like the idea that like the the managing board of McDonald's are like they're in it for the burger craft. <laughs> they we're here to do, We're here to do a good job because we enjoy it so much. Yeah, now, if I was CEO of McDonald's, <laughs> I would. You'd be the worst CEO of McDonald's. It would just be. It would just be fucking triple cheeseburgers all the way round. I've been promised one, but I've never seen one. They advertise a triple whopper at Burger King, <laughs> but they'll never sell it to you. <laughs> You'll just be limited edition burgers all the time, mm. and instead of a side order of chips, you just get a side order of a fucking quarter pounder because you're disgusting. Yeah. You take away all the coke, and you just have nothing but Oasis. You take all the lids off all the fucking cups. Yeah. No, 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 no. If I was in charge of McDonald's, wouldn't be Oasis. They'd go back to still Fanta mm. like they should do. Oh, still Fanta was amazing. Yeah. What else to? Cram down that artery clogging beef. <laughs> so good. Than the acid tang. I spent still fanta. A lot of really good hyperact- hyperactive hours. <laughs> of still fanta. You didn't have to put sugar in it, <laughs> but it helped. Hmm. <laughs> no, like Steve Easterbrook, the CEO of uh, McDonald's, took home fifteen point four million dollars. Well, that's why you got a slim fucking year. profit margin because of the wages of the people at the. F- 
They made $6 billion in the final quarter of 2016. Do you know who made that? As you say, it's not like somebody came up with an idea to make cheap burgers or to package them because they've had that running now for years. The people who made it were the workers. They actually made that profit through their labour. They turned those ingredients into a thing that you ate at the end. Like... It's theirs. Like, I'm not even one of these people who, like, kind of goes, oh, well, you know, the economic conditions are right. They made this amount, so therefore they can share some of it back. Because that's like saying capitalism works, but in a, like, if it's fairer, Mm. then capitalism works. It's like, no, they deserve it because it's theirs. Yeah. They put in that labour. They did it all. It's fucking ridiculous. And to, like, the argument that, like, oh, I need to think of a company that has just makes no money and that will really be affected by this. I know McDonald's. Yeah. No, it's um yeah, it's just and it's just the lazy standard arguments that they always come out with against unions. It's like they can't even come up with a new idea, a new reason yeah. to bitch about. Them. And those arguments don't hold weight anyway. Yeah. I don't think many people really believe them. The kind of people who believe them, the kind of people who believe articles about stealing children away from good Christian families. Well, they're the ones that believe also that the 70s were crippled by strikes and that was the reason why everyone was poor. Wait, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so moving on to... Who have we got? Oh, yeah, this article by Jolion Jolion Morgan. Morgan. Mm. Okay, well, that's Um, quite the name. So, Jolion Morgan, if you're not familiar with him, Jolion Morgan QC. I've seen him on Twitter. Yeah. Um, He's a barrister. Who works for this thing called the Good Lo- the Good Law Project? What's that? <laughs> um, it that basically where a QC, takes on when he gets to a certain age. He's given a copy of the he's given a copy of the law, and he has to wander <laughs> out into the wasteland bringing <laughs> law to the lawless. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, okay. except instead of like uh, the what's the mutant family called in Judge Red? Um, oh. The it's not the Cassidy family or something like that. I can't remember, I can't remember. the ones with the big the big chins. Yeah. Um, yeah, instead of that, it's Uber. Basically, it's a, it's a thing that it's a, it's a think tank that's trying to crack down on tax avoidance in okay. that kind of, but in that kind of like soft Ed Miliband way, as if that was I'm like the nicely. yeah, that was the well, no, he, I mean, he is taking them to court for like he's taking Uber to court for um, unpaid VAT hmm. and things like that. Okay, and it's like it's okay. He's written about tax for the New Statesman for a few years. He advised Ed Miliband on on tax. Um, but as if that was a kind of that was the way that they were going to get the money to pay for more things, mm. but they wouldn't promise the things until they got the money from these long, expensive, drawn-out court cases. It's like kind of in the right direction, and I'm not going to poo-poo it, but also it's specifically working in a in, it's it's working in a particular framework mm. to guarantee justice that relies on the injustice yeah. of uh, an unjust system. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think he's more... I think it's better... Like, that's the boring intro for Jolion Morgan. Mm. Um, the interesting one is he was the one who... Um, he's an anti, He's very, very anti-Brexit. Of course he is. Yeah? So he's one of them. He tried to launch a centre-forward type... Uh, on, uh, an on-marche type movement called Spring. He tried to stand against um, Theresa May <laughs> in the general election just gone. Um... He's also the one who bought a million pound windmill. <laughs> He's like the Jonathan s- Creek. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so for his <laughs> for his 
party. It was called Spring the Party. The original idea was a 28-day festival. Each day would be celebrated with the national costumes, food, and drink of one of the European Union's member states. The thing is, like... This like was the lot- founding of a political party, by the way. Yeah. This wasn't just a festival. Like a lot of festivals, I don't want to see all the bands and go there for every mm. day, but I would happily go to see... <laughs> Julian's Luxembourg Day. <laughs> I'd happily turn up for Belgium. I, you might miss uh, Belgium and um, uh, Lithuania are on the same day. Mm, that's the problem. It's the problem, yeah. Um, this would culminate in the announcement of the candidacy of Spring's first parliamentary candidate, one Julian Morgan, to stand against Theresa May in her constituency of Maidenhead. And their release letter that's now been taken so down. So he was going to have a twenty-eight day festival uh-huh. that culminates in the crowning of him. Yes. Do they like? Do they dress him in purple robes and have have a man whispering behind him? But remember, you are but a man. No. When I read that, as he is crowned. When I read that, I thought about like um, roast beer. And like you know how they abolished they abolished Catholic practice, yeah. but they instituted like pagan nature worship, yeah. which was like a twenty eight day pagan festival culminating in like a new consecration of the Temple of Reason, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is Great. you know it sounds it's exactly awesome. right. There, um, it's unfortunately it's been taken down because about two days after this went up, he got so fucking owned <laughs> that he said, "Actually, I'm not going to do this because there's not enough time." Too many people tease me. Yeah, basically. I have locked the door to my windmill and put up a no solicitors and no mean tweet sign. <laughs> I am slowly dying of <laughs> dust bite. <laughs> um, like Sherlock Holmes and Boriati, Labour's left and moderates are bent on one another's destruction. No one knows what the Lib Dems are for, other than the Lib Dems, and we vote for the Tories reluctantly, lacking an, al- <laughs> lacking an alternative. <laughs> oh, he's one of those. He's one of those who's like, he's always like, oh, so who will you be voting for this year, Jorion? Well, this year I'll be reluctantly voting Conservative, like I did in the last election, the election before that, the election before that, the election before that. Next election, I hope to stand for them. <laughs> They've taken our party over. These damn Corbynites have taken our party. Votes for the Tories. Yeah. <laughs> Um, their three-step plan. Oh, this is so good. This I I thought this was fake. Okay. I wanted to. I actually looked this up because this was uh, maybe a week before um, our like election episode. Okay. And I badly wanted to do it. I think we ran out of time because we there was so much else to talk about. But step one: Jolion announces to the Maidenhead advertiser that he's standing. That's the place you want to go for news in Maidenhead. He does. Let me how, tell you. how did he announce? Did he send a town crier? Mm, here we go. It filters out to the national press. You know, the desk in the Maidenhead Advertiser where they've got the new four clocks that say di- the time in different buildings in Fleet Street <laughs> with the red red button hotline to the Times, the Mail, the Guardian. Or he just told his friends um, who work at the New Statesman. Oh no, here we go. The website goes up with a short blog, uh, a short biog, sorry, a teaser, a <laughs> register button and a donate button. Oh Step two, we announce the festival and some acts. <laughs> Step three, we begin to release policies. So, who were the acts who were going to play at his festival? It never happened. We'll never know. We'll never know what amazing. We'll never acts know. They'll just be. be they'll just be. You know those like fake festival, like fake Coachella and Primavera yeah. and posters that go around Facebook. <laughs> it would just there'll be just thousands of those every election now. <laughs> um, so onto like the actual article he wrote. Um, what uh, did he ever come up with any policies? 
Um, he had a load of vague principles. I haven't actually written them down, but as I remember, it was like, um, the British people have been lied to enough. We will be honest and always oh, tell the truth. Off. And it's like, it's that same old shit. And it's like, you're identifying problems and then saying we won't do them rather than actual physical money, yeah. bodies, institutions, buildings, mm. things. And they're the kind of people that always say, they always talk about how they're more about policy than party. Mm. But also, when they're questioned about policy, they're real vague. Yeah. Apart from how much they love the police. Well, no, there was the uh, means-tested milk benefit for <laughs> five to seven-year-old uh, white working class. <laughs> children of veterans. <laughs> yeah, children of veterans. Shit, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because of the depleted uranium, they've got really poor bones. <laughs> Um, his article's titled We're Too Fixated on Class What Matters is Our Ability to Understand Others Mm -hmm. Um, Our class shapes us no less than our colour or our gender straight away you know naturally assuming that because the entire discourse is um, covered in identity politics which is no good when it's directed against you but it's always good when it's directed against somebody who you know wants to actually enact progressive change yeah um If you are cultivated in a hothouse, born into money, sheltered by it, how do you understand what it's like to fear homelessness because you can't meet your rent? But if you grow wild, exposed to the elements, you quickly learn how poverty tends to rot your dignity, stunt you, and leave you morally compromised. He's got a very dim view of me. (laughs) Okay, when I was really poor, I did almost eat several babies. (laughs) It was because I was hungry, and because my dignity was so rotted. (laughs) Live that experience and it shapes you always. So, like, he then starts going on about, like, his personal background. Mm -hmm. Because Katie Hopkins accused me on Twitter of being out of touch with the majority of people thanks to me having an Eton-educated father called Benedictus. (laughs) I scoffed, guffawed, and spun around the rotor blades of my windmill house. (laughs) I was so angry I had to go outside, making sure I ducked under the original wooden fans of my windmill. No, in fairness, right, when I was reading this, um, it's got that weird centrist bio. He does appear to have had... He he didn't know his father until he was 17. Okay. Um, He was... Did um, Benedictus enact droidus in Europe? It was his... (laughs) Enacting it. It sounds like his father rode into a polytechnic and enacted the rite of prima noctum. Yeah. Uh, um, he was um, quite a famous writer, David Benedictus, um, and his she he met her mother at a, like I say, a North London Polytechnic, and they were they conceived Jolion. Okay. Um, when my mother graduated in 1972, she emigrated with her parents and me to New Zealand. There, she joined a teachers' training college where she met and married Alan. They had a child together in 1975, and around that time, he adopted me. My father never acknowledged paternity, but paid £5 a week as long as he didn't have to take a paternity test, as was the case back in those days, right? As was the style of the time. <laughs> as was the Eton mode. <laughs> yeah. Did he so meet his father, he... kill him in single combat, and earn a window? So, like, he does talk about, like, how he had to... Um, he, he didn't get along with his stepfather... He moved back to England and moved in with some of his some friends of his grandfather in the northeast. He mentions on the borders of an older uh, like coke mine, 
And it's like at this point that I'm starting to get like, right, you, there's something, there's something wrong here. Like, mm. um, he took a year out in England and he changed his surname from his adoptive father's back to his mother's maiden name, Morgan. And with David's help, his father, who he had now met, the Eton educated, and I think he was a tutor to part of the, some of the royal family. Okay. With David's help, in time, I got a clerical job at the BBC. How long was the time? Was it the time between a phone call? It would seem and to him be about a year. My point is that there's a lot missing for like basically his point is I know poverty. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, he had a cleaning job for about six months in okay. the independent school in England that he went to. Um it's a weird one. He there's a lot he leaves out about the actual formative experience of class, which mostly happens happens in your youth, and then happens when you have a long period of like working class jobs mm. and being around other people who are working class mm. and maybe people you've known from birth. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Your experience of working class life differs. Obviously, there's a huge like variety mm. of different experiences you can get from that. But a lot of that seems to be missing in this. He talks about like the fact that he's not his father. Yeah. And it's like, you don't just have to be your father. Your your mother went to a polytechnic. She might have been the first person in the family, mm. but she went to a polytechnic. She trained as a teacher. You do kind of get, get into the lower middle class by mm. that. But you know what? I'm going to gloss over that. Mm. Um, my work at the BBC, including a feature on New Zealand poetry and a play I wrote, okay, so was enough to... Pers- yeah. It was enough to persuade Durham to offer me a university place despite my bad grades. Then came professional success, a law degree, and then the bar. Now you see, there we fuck go. Me. That, no, fuck me. Boomers had it so easy. So he got into university despite having no grades because of a fucking radio play he wrote for the BBC. Uh, he was born in 1971. Oh my God, this is even worse. Yeah. So this would have been, what, like 18? It would have been 1989. So just before, just during the Thatcher years and just before... Um, Blair came in Um, then came the bar and with it the means and skills to try and improve lives like mine had been Um, by my father who was supremely wealthy and upper class Um, having seen how tax avoidance corroded public trust in the establishment and our ability to fund tax credits for working families oh my god even when he's talking about my inspirational story how I transformed my life and then used my gifts to transform peoples so that we could have a properly funded working tax credit system. <laughs> it's like you fucking animals. So You're even boring in your in when you read glossing over the story of your own life. This it's just his life story seems very much like John Snow. <laughs> and then upon discovering that he's a Targaryen, starts talking about means testing. Um who we are matter. So now he gets into what he thinks class is, which mm. he never really explains because for them it's a fixed idea based on yeah. like 1950s coal mining. And, and coffee. And coffee, yeah, consumption of coffee. Who we are matters, but it does not define us. No, I think who we are <laughs> defines us quite a lot. Yeah. Like who we are being the operative word to be yeah. and is. Yeah. Um, denial is not the best answer to the allegation you are posh. If you accept that being born poor is not a moral judgment, the same must be true of being born wealthy. Oh my God. Zach Goldsmith's policies on social housing during the London mayoral election Uh... in 2016 suggested he had the capacity to overcome the emotional handicap of wealth. 
Oh my god. I defended both publicly against criticisms of their privilege. To be fair, it is really hard walking around with diamond soled shoes on cobble streets. Slippy, slippy, slippy. <laughs> I cried when Zach Goldsmith had to retire to his geodesic dome in Mexico. <laughs> um, <laughs> but privilege does imply a moral obligation to understand people whose experience of the establishment is that it is venal and uncaring. I believe there is something special about poverty and the way it drowns out dignity. He's obsessed with dignity. That's a weird thing. And he's obsessed with defending the establishment. If the establishment is the thing that made you poor, why are you defending it? Why is it so necessary to build up trust and respect for that entire system? Um, Just to finish off, but what matters ultimately is not where we were born, but whether we care enough and remain interested enough to try and see the world through the eyes of others who are not like us. Like Zach Goldsmith wasn't like him, in (laughs) that he had a father who... Wait, no, he's exactly like him. Yeah. (laughs) So his point generally is that he grew up poor, but had a father that was rich and connected and could be shamed into getting him a job at the BBC. Yeah. That's what I read from that. Yeah. It's not quite the like disavowal of the role of privilege in his upbringing. Yeah. Like, he did a cleaning job for a bit. Yeah. That doesn't make you working class. No. No, not at all. Um, it made him working class while he was there, if it was all he was relying on, and if he had no other help, and he had no other prospects like on the horizon when he finished his schooling luckily he did yeah which is not a standard working class experience no not at all um he's got this noblesse oblige attitude towards like the working class as well so it's like i've i've gotten up here i've ascended Mm. thanks to daddy Mm. so now i have to give you all of the fruits of my marvelous life but do this means testing form first. Yeah, fill out this form. Yeah, fill out this form, and then I'll throw you an apple. Your appointment's at nine o'clock. If you get there at five past nine, the doors will be bolted. <laughs> no one help me. No one will help you. Help and, me help you. And like, and, oh, and like all of them, he is a millionaire. Yeah. He's a millionaire right now, yeah. like as we speak. Yeah. He's not like that. His experience of poverty may shape what he does now. And yeah. I'm not saying like he's the most like monstrous human being to ever walk the earth but given the amount that he criticised an actual push for proper change during the election the the way he tried to like undercut it like no one's going to blame you for sounding posh but when you start to do things like oh I don't know um, buy a million pound windmill (laughs) and try and do it up or like talk about reluctantly voting Tory Hmm. And talk about how great the establishment is and how the thing that caused this poverty is the thing that you have to shore up. Well, he, he reeks of People will start to criticise you for being posh and doing those things. He reeks of one of those people who says that it's, it's stupid to say that the Conservatives don't care about working class people. Because obviously they do. They mm. just have a different idea of how to make their lives better. It does boast on his website that he... Um, he talked to both Conservative and Labour governments about um, like tax reform and things like that. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, Jolion. Uh, just lock him in his fucking wimble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now we're on to my internet is working again, so I've been watching TV. Ah, oh, sweet. This um, is our cultural Marxism segment for this yeah, week. And this weekend, me and you have... It hit the bottle pretty hard this weekend. Oh, we? man, yeah. I had a friend down. Hey, Mike. Um. <laughs> and, yeah, so we were, like, a bit... I was a bit worse for wear on, when, on Monday when it finally stopped. <laughs> and so I wanted to watch something that was quite easy, and then I saw that 
um, a cuckoo's calling. I think it's called um, the mm. first of the Cormoran Strike books. <laughs> it's all up on the BBC. So it's like, like the birds, but there's a lot of cormorants. Yeah. So psychological trauma of a man attaching bread to himself and having a load of cormorants strike him. <laughs> so I'll go into my feelings on this. <laughs> Okay. It's J.K. Rowling's uh, detective novel, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, we'll go into the world of Cormoran Strike, the illegitimate son of a super-famous rock star and a supermodel. <laughs> also, he's an ex-military policeman that lost his leg in the Afghan war. He's a hard- Which Afghan war? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> he's a hard-living, hard-smoking, hard-drinking investigator that won't play by your rules. Holy shit, McBain! <laughs> he's just the right kind of dirty and the right kind of disabled that can make you feel good for fancying him, but you won't actually have to do anything annoying like care work. He likes his, he likes his fags off matches, laments the smoking ban for destroying boozers, decries the lack of any real boozers left in London, and drinks tea in cafes just like your mate's sexy dad. So are you, Kip Fowler, then? <laughs> he doesn't care about the pursuit of money, but he does seem to have enough to constantly drink and smoke and eat and live, have an office in Soho. <laughs> so he's not a police, a policeman or anything. He's a he's an ex he's an ex, um, ex- military policeman. Oh fuck! He's like, like um, Copper Dan, he's like Copper Dan Jarvis. Like um, who's the guy? Um, shit, the Tom Cruise film. Uh, fuck, Lee Childs. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher round. Jack Reach Jack Reach around. Yeah. He's uh he's like also he's ex military police, which means like he knows all the weapons and he's a drifter, but somehow manages to maintain the kind of bone and muscle density you would find in a man <laughs> in the gym on the rig. Okay. Okay. The other main character in this yeah. is Robin something, I can't remember what her surname is, but from now on I will just call her Girl Friday. <laughs> she's her character seems to be she's always on a diet. <laughs> She tidies, strikes office, and keeps his secrets, but she looks after Holy him in other ways shit. too. By scouring London to find the pub he's getting drunk in and escort him back to the office and tuck him into bed when he's lovesick. Oh my god! She's engaged to the man to a man that worries about money and mortgages, but she just wants excitement. She doesn't care about the money. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's crazy. JK Rowling, what's wrong with you? Okay, gets better. Oh, so how could it possibly get better? Big old spoiler here. <laughs> like Sherlock Holmes had the excuse of it's the uh, it's the nineteenth century, and they were all like infantilized, mm. yeah. like infantilized gentlemen, you know? Yeah, like, um, and you know they had back then it wasn't seen as that bad for them to write women who only, li- who were literally in... housekeeper and mother, yeah, like pseudo mother. Okay, so onto the plot. Ooh. A beautiful young model commits suicide, but her brother wants Strike to get to the truth. Then enters the normal cast of a leather jacket wearing copper that can't be bothered to do his job, a dodgy ex-boyfriend, and a friend from the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> the wrong side of the tracks in Soho? Is that like well, no, South Bank? It was um, the model's friend who was, I think, was mentally ill. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, within five minutes, I managed to guess who the murderer was. <laughs> And it was probably the brother that hired that hired Strike in the first place. Because Whoa, shit. The red herring uncle, who was played by Martin Shaw, was so heavy-handed that it was like, <laughs> this must be a red herring or J.K. Rowling needs to have her hands broken. <laughs> um, episode one was mainly filler scenes of pensive looks. Episode two had filler scenes of following people around London. And episode three had a lot of filler scenes of um, following people around and sexually charged looks. 
Um, Strike doesn't really go on any kind of personal journey. He's exactly the same at the beginning as he's at the end, except his bills are paid. And Girl Friday's journey is what she chooses where she's going to work as a secretary. <laughs> he doesn't change because he's too hard. Yeah, I can't change. Um, I've seen too much. But the thing is, it's that thing of money doesn't matter in any of their decisions. And it's like a recurring thing in all, like in in round in all, like Harry Potter as well. Um, good guys don't ever care about having money. Yeah. Um, well, don't they? Doesn't Harry Potter already have it? Yeah, he's he's he's, he's well, well he's, taken care of. Yeah, he's other than the fact that he's like living with foster parents or, or adoptive parents. Yeah. Or um, Shrike comes from money, but doesn't take handouts from his estranged father oh, or his sister. Jesus. And the only consequence of this is final notice letters that turn up and never really need to be paid. He eats and drinks and smokes constantly and passes out in his Soho office. I have to constantly rem- remind that Soho office. And where it's filmed, it looks like it's on a New Oxford Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's just up from uh, Bond Street. Um, uh, well, well, no, no, it's near Leicester Square. Yeah, yeah. Um, Girl Friday doesn't care about money. She proves this by choosing specifically to work for Strike rather than take a nebulous job in the city. But at the end, Strike does buy her a very expensive dress as a bonus. <laughs> They mention quite a few times just how expensive the dress is, so you know. Um, it's because according you to know Rowling, how grateful she should be, yeah, for this very expensive it's dress. According to Rowling, uh, money is a thing not really to care about. You should never discuss having it or not having it, but you should have it. You should always have it to afford expensive dresses and fags and booze. It's this thing of it's just it's it's not really a thing that matters. Yeah, which is the kind of attitude you can only get. Why would J.K. Rowling write like that? I mean, she was she was so poor, and then you know, she knows the value of money. Yeah, um, I think isn't that like the whole one of her like publicity points? Yeah, that's the thing. Isn't that, that like her brand? Her brand is constructed on she knows, like like Jolion yeah. knows what it's like to be poor. Yeah, um, the thing is, Rowling is probably the most successful living author. I would um, say she's so. definitely she's the a, most successful British one. I mean, she's a billionaire author. Yeah. So, yeah, um, definitely. Because of this success, she's actually she's treated as a good and smart writer. Mm. But Harry Potter was really all she had. Yeah, and um, even that was kind of... Like, there's a lot of stuff... Like, I think the films of Harry Potter are quite, like, good. Like, for children. For mm. children and young adults, they're a good, like, adventure well, thing. But she did cream quite a lot of, like, ideas off of earlier children's books. Well, the reason why it with did Harry Potter. so well is because... I, like, because of the age of my daughter like mm. young adult selection wasn't great then she was like one of the first she kick-started the young adult yeah. and she managed to make a staggering amount of money out of it and it was good it was a good, it's a good thing that she did okay. um, Lily probably wouldn't be the reader that she is now if it wasn't for Harry Potter it was sure. Harry Potter that got her reading Fine. avidly yeah. Um, but think, yeah Harry Potter was pretty much all she had and she wrote these Cormoran Cormoran strike books <laughs> under another name Cormoran like, Strike is the name of a chapter master in Warhammer 40,000. Yep. Not a hard-bitten detective in Soho. <laughs> um, she wrote the books under a different name. Oh, is Cormoran Strike ugly? Um, oh, yeah, he's just the right kind of ugly, though. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. In that he... I.e. not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she wrote them under a different name, um, and the sales did get a lot better when it leaked who wrote them. <laughs> Weird, that. Just like with her other book Yeah. that she wrote under a different name. And the problem is that The Cuckoo's Calling, it's not that it's bad, it's mm. that it's cliched, unoriginal pulp that you'd normally find in an airport bookshop. Yeah. And that's exactly where it would stay if it wasn't for her name. Yeah. Well, it seems like it seems like she did kind of what she did with Harry Potter in that rather than creaming off the best of young fantasy from before she wrote, she creamed off the best, well, the 
the things she remembers about like Philip Marlowe and yeah, and Dashiell Hammett and all that. It's done well on TV. This mm. ad- adaptation, um, and the reason it's done well is because I reckon it's because there's two reasons. It's not overly grim, like Scandi. That Duar, actually is worth like. Yeah, like, yeah, that's worth something. Like I all think, the Scandi Noir stuff and all of its clones, they have you sticking with emotionally devastated victims or families of victims, um, and that's what made them different. That you'd mm. focus so much on like the reality of these kind of things, but this is so old fashioned that no one seems actually that upset about death and suffering. Yeah, because it's way more important to have lingering shots of Strike looking wistful or Girl <laughs> Friday looking fuckable. Um, and the other reason it, it's done well is wish fulfillment. It's wish fulfillment telly for Nick Cohen and baby boomers like him. Yeah, that whole bit about he's the he's basically the he's basically the son of Twiggy and Mick Jagger. Yeah, you, which are their two favorite people. You can watch it and you can think, yeah, lighting my fags with matches is sexy and cool. I also order a large whiskey and a pint when I'm on my own down the pub, and I bet my secretary wants to fuck me. <laughs> It's, it's but she hasn't got that author profile. Like she's rich and female. Like yeah. she doesn't. She shouldn't have those kind of. Like no. she shouldn't. That those wish fulfillment things shouldn't come automatically to yeah, her. Yeah, you'd think that. Like, because it did. It reeked of the kind. Actually, it reeked of the kind of detective thing that Nick Cohen would have written. Yeah. It's sort of like power fantasy, but more like gritty realness fantasy. Yeah, there's a really good. There's a good bit. There's a really specific bit where he um where Cormoran. He do has, they call him Cormoran or do they call him? Strike! Get back in here! They call him Strike! Get into my office! Um, loose cannon, Strike! So it doesn't have an office. Well, <laughs> no, he doesn't get pulled into other people's offices. Oh, right, okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so he has sex with a model. Mm-hmm. And, well, because, <laughs> as you do, and she says, like, normally she, does, she doesn't go for pretty boys. She goes for, like, people with a fake leg. Because he has a fake leg. Oh, right, okay. Um, and oh, there's only two points in the series does he um, in this free parter does he talk to his leg and I like it when he talks to his leg he talks he really, to his leg yeah in a kind of cool like don't look at me like that to his leg <laughs> he's taken off um, but yeah so he has sex with this model but mm. when he goes into the model's house, model's flat she's got proofs lying on the coffee table and they mention it for a good couple of minutes to prove that she's smart as well as attractive so it's okay for him to bang her. <laughs> and the only time this is brought up again, the fact that he banged her, was a bloke who runs a fashion label when Cormoran goes to see him mm-hmm. with Girl Friday mm-hmm. and the um, fashion designer goes, oh, you got a great review from, I can't remember what it is, and it's like, and she's been around the block so her review really matters. To really hammer home to Girl Friday that, you know, you're onto a winner here. He's good at banging. He's like the Owen Smith of PIs. <laughs> it does sound like Owen Smith could have, he's got a good, he's, she's got very good review. She's got great taste. <laughs> it's, it's, I had to fight off 44 other Yelp reviewers <laughs> to get five stars. Um, it's, there's so many little bits in it as well that feel so dated and bad. Yeah. Like um, the model's ex-boyfriend and this is just like this is this isn't J.K. Rowling's fault. This is the people who made it. Mm. He sounds like he walked straight off of a docu, uh, like a biopic about nineteen seventies punk. Yeah, <laughs> that's the accent that he has. That kind of that that London accent. John Constantine. Um, well, no, it's got that kind of he's he's got that working class London accent that hasn't existed for a long time. Oh, he might yeah, like from- he's the last one with that accent or something. Yeah, it? yeah. It's just it's, mm. it's it's not a great show. It's funny though. Like I'm not actually I'm not normally you'd be like oh I'm amazed it got made something that like derivative and hacky. I know exactly why it got made. But 
I think we both know why exactly why it got made. Mm. That was. <laughs> I think um, the fact I, I think that there there should be there is a more of a push for non depressing TV. People like that. Yeah, because I'm not opposed to a hacky detective show. Well, TV TV like necessarily like film runs in cycles. Yeah, we've, we've just had a really grim. Yeah, season like a um, couple of years. So maybe you know people want to see more happy stuff. Well, not happy because it wasn't happy. It was about um, it was about a young model who's killed for money. <laughs> um, but you know you kind of get it. The like not I, you know I don't want to watch and I, I whenever Holly wants to watch uh, Scandi Noir, it's like I don't want to watch a thing about a beautiful young girl that's murdered and then a family cries for twelve episodes. I don't yeah. want to watch that. I've already seen the killing. Yeah. And the bridge and all the other ones. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, beautiful women who are found murdered in TV shows, hmm. so I just finished Twin Peaks. I don't care. Oh man, fuck Twin Peaks. Fuck. Twin like, Peaks. there's going to be no, there's going to like no spoilers. I don't think I could even do it justice to actually explain it. But man, that left me drained. That left me destroyed. And I think he might be going for another series. Fuck off with that I think one. he might be going for another series. We got um, we got kind of uh, we got heat for uh, our opinions on Firewalk with me. But it's a piece of uh, shit from last week, and it it's like it's not a piece of shit. It is a piece it's of shit. It doesn't hold up. It is a piece of shit. It's like not a every piece of other shit. fucking piece of fucking David Lynch garbage that comes out. You don't mean that. You like Dave. You love June. <laughs> <laughs> I do love June. I do love June. Like, and watching June is the closest anyone can come to seeing the face of God. But Twin Peaks deserves to be left where it was found, which is in a box set in a student's bedroom underneath a Betty Blue poster. That was your bedroom, wasn't it? I didn't have a Betty Blue poster. <laughs> my, you no, never it's... saw my bedroom at university. It's fucking disgusting. There was no floor. It was fucking horrible. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I just wanted to mention that, that if you're not... Oh, I'll probably oh, watch it. So, you, you should. You'll hate it. You'll probably hate this new series. Well, the thing is... Okay, but... here's my issue with Twin Peaks. Yeah. Before I've even watched it, I've had quite a few of my own friends pretty much imply that the reason I won't like it is because I'm not smart enough to get it. And that's oh, why I hate no. David Lynch. Never said that. I never said that. Hmm, that's the implication. And also, like, you're literally a tall fan. You know how that works. I am a tall fan, yes. <laughs> we are literally tall fans. I yeah. should say that. I'd not pin it on you, but like, <laughs> we are tall fans. We know what it's like to be infuriated by fans of things we like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's us for this week. I'm going to try and, I've got to get to work on editing this so I can get onto Destiny at midnight. <laughs> I came over early, special. Yep. Because you're a good friend. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that's episode 28. Um, so we're available on iTunes. Yep. Um, for subscribing and reviews and such. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And yeah, let us know what you think, if you've got any recommendations, anything like that. Cool. Yeah. All right, that's it for us this week. Cheers. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to come